Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. <coughs> okay. <coughs> Just kidding. Welcome to I the was True like, Wealth Show. Are you really choking on your own spit right no, now? I thought no, that's what I was happened. Like, it's all that smoke that's still here a week later. Oh, gosh. Gang, welcome to the True Wealth Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me today. Is Katie Shook. By the way, I have given up, like, betting on when things are going to happen. Oh, my because God. Because yes. I have, like, failed so miserably. I'm like, thank God this isn't a game in Vegas. Because, like, I thought COVID would have blown over by summer. Did oh. not expect it to still be hanging around. I assumed, like, eh, these fires are going to suck for this week. But, like, nah, it should blow through. Uh, um, It's even worse now, air quality, than it has been. Well, let's let's I talk just... about it, right? I mean, this is the year <sighs> that we have uh, essentially... Um, if you could be wrong, this is it. You did it. I nailed it in every like category. You know, and and let's just kind of go through like, oh, that pandemic can't last that long. Here, hold my beer, said COVID, right? And then it was things like, oh, the market's all just gonna crash, crash, crash. It's all gonna go away. Guess what? All time highs. Right. Like I, uh, Uh, yeah. And then and now people, I'm start. This is the new one. We could we could touch on this today. Um, is you know, well, you know, election. So, right, the markets are going to crash. It's like 2008 all over again. And here's, uh, look, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's like, oh, don't you play that game. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even, I know. Like, I just feel like I should just sit down, right? Can I bench myself? Is that even a thing? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, I don't, coach, coach, I, I just need a breather. I, I, just gonna, I need to go gonna, bench myself. I just take me out of the game, right? Don't put me in, coach. Take me out, please. Just take me out. So possibly one of the smartest things that you can do in theory. By the way, I'm going to do so. I'm so because we bill by the hour here. We also have another guest in studio. <laughs> because we bill by the hour. <laughs> We're about to, right? Uh, please welcome. This one is fun. I get to make probably the first public announcement here. Um, one of our favorite attorneys from Simmons law the very best attorney firm in the whole world right now <laughs> that that um, yes if you know the history so thank you for joining us Derek Simmons Absolutely. and uh we're gonna we're gonna have some fun today oh uh, wait like watch this sorry Dale I got him he's he's on now yep so my three is hot. let's try this I again now said now you could say welcome Derek because or you could say hi I'm here but I did it so well last I know I well know. and you'll do it again right, right? it'll yes. be brilliant because nobody heard it <laughs> it is a delight to be here that's true I'd say like, well and this is why I tease because we had to launch and so Derek's you know very stealthily snuck into studio notice he, you didn't hear him and then we also figured out oh yeah turn on the mic right so my bad yeah uh, that wasn't anyway. a mic drop. That was an oops. <laughs> so stoked to have you here and stoked to be able to share with everybody that you've now uh, hung out your own shingle. So exciting, yes. Simmons Law. And uh, I understand still willing to take on new clients, provided they're not horrible, awful people. Is that-, that is correct. Yeah, okay. the horrible, awful people. Uh, Can go to your competitors. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so like, yeah, there's people. plenty of other attorneys. Talk to them. But if you're not horrible and awful, then Derek is delighted to speak to you. Uh, so, uh, here we go. We're going to check the levels, too. Uh-oh. I'm just going to roll with it. See, it's it's oh, 2020. I can do that. We want the gain, too, or just straight volume? Straight volume. All right, nailed it. I okay. can just start yelling. And see okay. How that works. 
We'll figure it out eventually, guys, and it'll sound great on the podcast. I have no volume control, so this I realize my tone goes up and down constantly. This <laughs> is why one should be here a couple of minutes before airtime. <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, we've done this a time or two, so we'll wing it. Look, I want to talk with you guys, everybody out there listening. I've got some fun ones today. Right? I wish that was a beer. So, <laughs> first of all, uh, I do want to address what I think is quickly becoming the elephant in the room. This will be a theme. We'll revisit this over the coming weeks. But, uh, yes, we have an election coming. Yes, the markets are kind of all over the board. And, yeah, everybody's trying to game this thing. Well, what if Trump wins? What if Biden wins? What does it mean? So, we can flirt with that a little bit today, but I'm going to tell you that it's really, really tough to handicap. And believe it or not, I would argue that that's a good thing. Uh, right? Why? Agreed. Well, because... Well, I mean, just why? So, first of all, let me... This is the disclosure time, right? My attorney's here. So, the disclosure <laughs> is, this is not individual investment advice I'm about to give, but I'm going to talk about the nature of how markets operate. Okay. And then we can all just sort of unpack this a little bit. To have a market, you need both buyers and sellers. Yeah, so what happens if you have only buyers or only sellers? Well, then you get a trend one direction. There you go. Right? If everybody wants to buy and nobody wants to sell, prices go up. Because the seller now gets to top priority pricing. Scarcity. It, well, that's exactly. It's supply and demand. If, if there's not much of it and everybody wants it, it's like, Whoever's willing to be the high bidder gets so it. So HVAC filters is what you're <laughs> HVAC filters are pretty valuable all of a sudden. Are they not teaching this in econ anymore? Like, I feel like this sounds like new concepts, even though these are very old concepts. So, but I feel like younger generations don't understand that. I think it's possible that they're teaching it and it's not being learned. Yeah. That's a possibility. But is or, it even being taught? Here's, here's what I see happening a lot of the time, okay? Let me use a phrase that we hear a lot. Well, those people are the smartest ones in the room. What? You've never heard that phrase? Yeah, but I okay, mean. This is often, you know, like we send our best and our brightest to uh, military academies. That's probably true, actually. But, like, do you really think that all of the politicians that we have in Washington, D.C. are the smartest people in the country? No. <laughs> I, I think I think uh, to a good extent, they're the best looking people in their areas. <laughs> well, maybe to the voter. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you think about it, there are a lot of people. I know a lot of really smart people. They have zero desire to be in politics because they're smart enough to not go in. So, yeah, so, they just don't want their personal lives in the public. Here's here's light. the point that I'm really angling toward. It's not about the quality of our politicians or who's smart or who's not per se. It's that we oftentimes try to make things more complicated than they need to be. Oh, yeah. Right? We look for really sophisticated explanations. And there's a, there's a term for what, what, what it says is the simplest solution is the highest probability of being correct. Okay? It's a term called Occam's o Razor. That's correct. Good job. I like Occam's yeah. Razor. Occam's Razor. And it says, you know, you should just try to discard or slice away all the superfluous detail, all the extra junk. And what you're left with is the most likely answer, which is why conspiracy theories are really hard. Uh, it's not to say they don't exist, but it's, in my opinion, it's oftentimes more likely that human incompetence is the result uh, or is the cause rather than a really sophisticated broadly distributed conspiracy. Like, so that's probably true. So apply it to the market for us. Okay. So applying it to the market, it simply works this way. If you have a lot of uncertainty, then you have a lot of work with price discovery. 
Price discovery is what an auction is all about. It's about figuring out where the supply and demand points meet. And so people don't have any, we don't know the result of the elections yet, right? People are trying to handicap or guess what will happen, but we don't know. And, you know, the, the elections are now not just about the presidential election. It's also about the disposition of the House and Senate. Right. Right. And the political regimes that control those two bodies and whether or not it will be a cooperative environment or hostile the, yeah that's probably the right term for it hostile. or the united states of america yes <laughs> it could be cooperative or it could be what we have now oh um, my goodness the markets really dislike uncertainty yeah okay and so uncertainty tends to lead toward volatility and volatility is a funny code word for either risk or broader ranges of price discovery right it, it just means we can't figure it out so it, the price of range fluctuates in a wider array because you know katie your opinion derek your my opinion we're all we can't agree well and so, yes we can oh, just trying that out, so. <laughs> says the attorney no it, but that actually was a good point david i mean the three of us in the room right and there are things that we share similarly whether it's faith and sometimes politics but we all three like a i'm female and you guys are male right so we look at things a little differently you, even did from you a, just gender assign me i totally <laughs> okay, gender you assigned it. you just say i'm just saying um last time i checked you claimed yourself as male yeah yeah i'm gonna go with that <laughs> i actually wondered sorry side note i was filling out paperwork today and it said male or female and i'm like i'm wondering how long this is actually going to remain on forms until there's a point when they say you can't ask that question any longer all right punt anyways yeah right <laughs> But um, but we're different ages. We have different amounts of children. We're in different just avenues of our life at this point, right? Sure. Like so. I mean, we all in our histories in our past all affects how we our, view the world. Our interests, our interests, the life phase, right? And Although value systems, are Derek does like similar, Dr. But... Pepper. So you know, I'm I'm already a fan of his anyway. Because <laughs> he's a huge fan of, of Diet Dr. Pepper. It yeah. is. As am I. It tastes more like the original. And for the record, when, when Katie was alluding to beer earlier, it's definitely Diet Dr. Pepper. It's Diet yeah. Dr. Pepper. It just, it made that like, that like Budweiser commercial Next time I'll sound. Do the you should like, all right, guys, hold my Diet Dr. Dr. Pepper. Pepper. <laughs> yeah. We are not placement. drinking in we're studio. We're not sponsored by no, Diet no. Dr. Pepper. I know. So we're I just, but we're open we to hearing that. from them. Yeah. So, you know, because everybody in this room is a fan. So, Diet Dr. Pepper, if you would like to talk about sponsorship of the True Well Show, we're here. Yeah, we're here for um, it. Okay, so we're talking about the election. Let me just bring it home for a minute because we're kind of running up on uh, you know, a natural break, yeah. break. So here's the thing. Uh, we want price discovery, right? And, and why is that healthy? Because going into an election, the uncertainty means lots more participants trying to figure it out. First of all, lots of participants is good, right? You, when you have really low volume, like very few people with price discovery, you know what you get? You get anybody that does something causes a bigger move. You get a skewed yes, market. it's more powerful trends by fewer people. Right. Because essentially your sample size is shrinking. Okay, it's like getting 10% uh, of the people are the only ones that vote. Well, they still make the decision, but 90% of people didn't get heard from. So in this case, you want lots of votes. Isn't that kind of the difference between like the mean and the median? Uh, I don't think so much in this case. I'm I'm just talking more uh, grandiosely about the concept that for folks that are worried about a market collapse, that that means that you have to get everybody to sort of agree and run the same direction, and we're not doing that yet. Okay, so I think there's another key element 
though, to the election that we need to talk about. You're not going to tell us, are you? No, we're totally going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. And on the flip side of it, I, I will share, besides the price discovery, what do we need to know about for the election? That and more, but we got to take a break. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, I am your host Dave Littlejohn. In studio today is Katie Shook and Derek Simmons. Oh, see, I pointed, but we're oh, all see. I'm not even looking at you. I'm multitasking. Well, I was <laughs> letting you finish your multitasking, but that's okay. We got this. I got the mom here. You know, hey. it's like where I can focus and like still listen to my kids at the same time. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with it. I'm a dude. So uh, <laughs> look, we're first. going to. I'm going to remind you guys, if you're just joining us, you missed out because we were talking a little bit about what is going on with the markets heading into the election. And so I'm going to encourage you to check out our podcast. It's going to be available at littlejohnfs.com. It'll be posted tomorrow, and you can catch up on this stuff. But we're covering, uh, we talked a little bit about price discovery, but there's one other big item that I think people need to think about come election time. This is a professional element. Okay? This is not something the typical consumer is going to think about or necessarily participate in. Maybe a handful, but most of you probably not. That is hedging. Okay, That sounds complicated. I bet against myself partly in to a reduce sense, my risk. Yes. Hedging is all about using what's called the derivatives market. Okay, Another fancy, remember, a derivative or a derivation of. So you have a thing. And then you create a thing related to the thing. And that thing that's related is a derivative. Complicated. <laughs> Stick with me here. There's another fancy word for this. They're called options. Ah. Okay. Sounds and more familiar. So options or futures. These are two different versions of the same things. Futures are most commonly relatable to commodities like crops. Soybeans. Uh, yeah. Farmer's going to plant some corn. And they're going to pre-sell the harvest. So they're selling a future harvest at a price today. If the harvest is bountiful, then they may under get underpaid for how much they produced. If the entire state burns. Yeah, if there's nothing, <laughs> oh my then they get a tiny harvest and they get a bunch of money for a tiny harvest. So the, clo the farther out you go, the more risk there is in purchasing a future value. You can purchase future values for the stock market in various categories, whether it's the S&P 500 as an index or the Dow index or lots of others, but you can produce, you can also purchase options. That's not a future value per se. That's the right to buy or sell something at a guaranteed price for a guaranteed amount of time. So why would, now there's a, there's a price to buy an option. Yep. And then why would you buy an option? Well, let's let's Give use me an one example. of my favorite examples. Let's talk about Tesla because if you go <laughs> to my Twitter feed, you'll see that I was really snarky about Tesla a couple weeks ago. And I fessed up and said, "Well, here's a stock that I totally missed." Right? I have a hand we have some clients and they bought Tesla a long time ago and they made a boatload of money in it. And they're like, "Neener neener, we're smart and you're not." And I'm on the inside, I'm like, well, if that's what you say, I think you're lucky. Just so I'm just saying, I think you're lucky. Yeah, I don't it's think, always feels good when you're lucky and you're right. I but when Tesla you're not lucky and you're wrong, crazy speculative. So anyway, Tesla was a 
it's now split in value. It was up to about a $2,500 value, and they split it five for one. So Tesla stock got to just over $500. And I went on Twitter and said, boy, did I miss this one. But the futures market, or but rather the options market, says I didn't. The next day, Tesla fell by 20%. Options markets were pricing a $50 premium and saying, if you want to sell for $500, it's going to cost you $50 to buy the right to sell. And the next day, it fell to 450 bucks. Ooh. Which means you could have done that, spent 50 bucks, and then the next day when the price tanked, your $50 basically was what you paid is what if you sold the stock. Remember, you're selling the stock first and then buying back. Or you know, you're when you exercise an option though. I figure that I can sell it for five hundred dollars, right? Because that's why I bought was the the right to sell it for five hundred. Fell to four fifty. So, now you so pay- I sell it for five hundred and I buy it back for four fifty. I make the fifty dollars. How much was my option again? Fifty. So you're fifty dollars. So I made nothing. So it was push. You're just for the record. You're not saying that you confessed to this on Twitter and the next day. The price collapse. It's not your fault, right? Uh, I'm neither confirming nor denying this. I'm simply saying that I snarkily the is what the market is. I snarkily said the options market is pricing a collapse in Tesla, and then it fell 20 percent the next day. So because David likes to make data-driven decisions, because uh, I'm a nerd. All right. So <laughs> here's the thing. Let's talk real-world application. Okay. You like none of us in uh, Derek. Do you know what's going to happen at the election? Do you know who's going to win? Yeah. Okay, but, but will I, you tell us? But before I tell you that, you'll wait for it to happen. I'm gonna ba- I'm gonna back <laughs> you up. You remember we actually had uh, I was on your show on the day of the election in 2016. Okay, and so it was the day, and we hadn't gotten to the night, and um, when of course President Trump won. Right, and, and I think both of us looked at each other and thought this can't happen. And it's, I remember you know, you Hillary's saying, a shoe in. Let's talk about what happens to the market if President Trump win, uh, wins, uh-huh. and then. And then we laughed because everybody knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. And the markets knew that wasn't going to happen. And yet it did. And then the things that everybody thought was going to happen in the market did didn't not happen. happen. Exactly. Oh, yeah. They said if, if he wins, oh, it's going to happen at all. Drop and it, it was actually skyrocketed. And we wanted the, this, this consistency of keeping the same regime in office and carrying forth. And then what happened is overnight, the futures collapsed for like two hours and then they skyrocketed higher. And the markets went on to have like a one quarter run of almost 15, 20%. Crazy recovery. So you're. At, Absolutely correct, Derek. Yep. Absolutely. We don't know. So when we say, can you handicap this election? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So what what are you going to do? My favorite judge is definitely going to be reelected. Okay. Yeah. Running unopposed yeah, also. That's, that, that's really as far can as I'm Can you handicap the presidential election? <laughs> I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah, so, and that's my answer to it. It's like, I can. I just, it's total but wild it's guess, right? Yeah. It's total swag. So. And at that point, isn't it really confirmation bias? Like you're just kind of going, well, I kind of oh, like this person over the other, and so totally, I'm just going to guess mean, this guy. Most of the analysts that or are girl. right, it's a confirmation bias or what we call survivorship bias. You know, you get 10 people, everybody guesses something different. The one that got it right is the one that you go talk to later. You go, well, how did you get this right? And they say, well, this is why I'm so smart. Okay, do they get it right next time? Hardly ever, <laughs> right? Hardly ever, because it was just a guess, right? Right. And they just happened to guess correctly. They pulled the lotto ticket, and next time it they may not get the yeah, lotto ticket. There's a ticket. donkey in Saskatchewan that picks the presidential election without fail. Right. What? Every time steps on the right bucket happens every time. 
No, I'm making that up, Katie. I was like, there's no you're, freaking you're way. You're actually looking at my face. You can tell I'm lying, but the people on the radio can't. No. And they're like, a donkey like, in Saskatchewan? <laughs> and, and I'm like, I have those. and I'm sitting there going, it's a mule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, when you talk about guessing, I was thinking of when we were at a fundraiser event and they played the game Heads or Tails. Do you remember this? And they bring oh, up they bring, like heads, like oh my gosh! So what they do is they bring up a handful of participants. I don't know if you had to pay to play or what the deal was. This was at the fish derby. Yeah, yes, it was at the fish derby a few years ago. Did you have to pay to play? Do you, you remember? Did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, play so what they do is they get a coin, right? And before they flip the coin, you either put your hands on your head or put your hands on your bum, and that's your tails. And then they flip a coin, and whoever guessed it right gets to stay. And wasn't it? Like either heads or tails, like seventeen times in a row. It was something. It was uncanny to the point like, where we were going. Is this a rigged coin? Like, is it meant to yeah. exactly like right? No, like, swap the coin. Swap out. the it's coin like the, out. The, the, the casino would be saying like, "All right, there's something wrong with those dice." <laughs> right? Like, oh, they would have called that five shots in. They, like, it wouldn't have gone as far as it did. But because it was a fundraiser, it was just interesting to see. But I've never seen a coin flip right go that way ever. So statistically improbable but not impossible. Right. Now, when we talk about how do we handicap the stock market, here's my bigger point. My bigger point is that because it's really difficult to handicap, then many of the large institutional players that are not long-term players, the long-term investors are just going to kind of roll deal their, with yeah, it. They're shrug their shoulders get, and deal with just, it. Just ride through this the same way like 2008. You, know, you, you may make some tactical moves, but for the most part, you grit your teeth and bear it. But a lot of institutions and hedge funds are going to buy a bunch of options and they're going to structure things to sort of play either direction. And then once the election is clear, and I say that because I'm not convinced that there will be a concession the very next day unless it is a really big landslide one way or the other. Because I think we're sort of being set up in the media that there's a lot of mail-in ballots and there could be uncertainty and it could take a while. So I expect that institutionally you'll see a lot of hedging. And once there's a directional confirmation for parties in power, then you'll start to see the markets unwind those hedges and then commit to a, a, a market thesis. But until there's clarity, it's very difficult to commit to a market thesis. But again, that aids into what we talked about in the first segment, which is price discovery. And so I don't see this as like I saw in, in hindsight, 2008. People were saying this feels like 2008. And I'm going, how? Yeah, why do you think that? Yeah, yeah the question is it, why. Because 2008 was a, a leverage and collateral crisis in the banking system where banks were radically over leveraged. And then we had a mark to market change in accounting that forced illiquid assets to be valued in present day value. And there was no buyer for an illiquid asset, which meant fire sale, price drop, drop, drop. And all of a sudden banks were under collateralized, had to have capital calls, couldn't do it. And they failed in solvency and they went bankrupt. And that's how we lost Bear Stearns and that's how we lost the Lehman Brothers. Okay, so I'm going to agree with you that that is what happened. But I am going to say, how are they the same? I would say there was a huge amount of economic uncertainty at that point. There's a huge amount of economic uncertainty right now. Yes, but the financial system itself underpinning the economic certainty is very different now than it 12 was years then. ago than it was Your back in 2008. Your question was, how are they the same? True. I stand by my answer. Oh, okay. Well, See, because as we've established the before, was listening. must be right. <laughs> <laughs> you know... How are they the same? Okay. Then let me let me the next question, Your Honor, is is that material to the markets? Yes, it is. 
Because okay, how? Oh, see, now you just keep going on. This. Yeah, right, because right. All right, so I want the because, 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 because. <laughs> because um, there are institutional investors and investment professionals who make decisions based on the economic unpatter- uh, uncertainty. Well, no, the economic underpinnings. Uh-huh. But then there are the rest of the great unwashed masses who don't. Right. And they go with their gut. And, and he's actually correct that sentiment does matter because lemmings aren't necessarily thinking. They're just following a herd. Oh. Okay. So, so I still maintain <laughs> that <laughs> That's I question. think most people are cautious, but hopefully they are not panicky. Um, markets are quite high. It's, I, I, this is not advice when I suggest this, right? But if you were in an environment where you, it was not a negative tax ramification, for making a transaction, right? That's a code for saying, hey, if I sell my stuff, I got to pay taxes on it. Okay, well, that's definitely a decision influencer. But if you had retirement accounts or something and you said, I just can't stomach the risk right now, then you can sideline yourself, right? You could sell everything at relatively high market values right now and just wait it out. Now, maybe you're right and the markets go down a whole bunch and you get to take all that dry powder and buy stuff on sale later. Maybe you're not, and you end up looking at the market running away from you. And then you have another problem, which is, when do I get back in? I can remember people saying this in like 2011. Boy, I took all my money out right away, and now I really wish I hadn't. Yes. And so... um, Don't jump off the roller coaster at the top. I'm not going to dig into this too much other than say, uh, the other option is to take some off the table. Okay, and there are some really strategic and mathematical rationales for how and why you would do that. It's something in the professional arena that we talk about called position sizing. It's a component of tactical management. Just how big a bite of the apple do you want to take? How much risk do you want to own? Okay, these are more complicated issues than I want to explore on the radio. What I will tell you is, uh, see me after class, right? They can call our office if you are wondering about your personal investment circumstance. We can either talk to you about some of the hedging tools we have, some of the scenario tools that we can run through to give you. Uh, we, we really can't predict risk in the sense that like we know the answer. What we can do is say, well, using the variables that we're aware of and using historical correlations, this is the type of risk that's likely embedded in the situation. Uh, these are institutional tools. Right. This is sophisticated stuff that ends up with a lot of software and AI logic and so forth to say, okay, well, let's project a little bit about where things may go. And if you're right about it and it looks like this, how does this affect my investments? What if you're wrong and it looks like that? Here's how the other effect would be. And so we do some of that modeling to help set expectations and to also help you figure out, do you have more risk in your strategy than you're comfortable taking? Or the flip side is, what if you're not taking enough? What if you, you what if your your long term financial plan requires more risk. that you take some risk and you're just too chicken to do it? Well, then you're not you're less likely to cross the finish line when you want to. So you could endanger your financial success by under risking as well. And isn't it kind of nice to figure out you know where's your benchmark, right? Uh, otherwise, I always say it's like a Sunday drive, right? You'll get there because you have nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> just hop in and go. Doesn't matter what the destination is. Okay, well, you can invest like that and maybe you'll get lucky. But I like a little more intention in my investment strategy. I like a little more money in my investment strategy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no guarantees of outcomes. That's not what we're talking about here. But I can tell you that guarantees of intention can really help. All right, so look, we're going to take another break. 
because we're going to totally shift gears. The election's going to happen with or without us. But you know what I want to know? And I'm going to ask both of you when we come back. What is the biggest financial mistake or the worst financial advice you've ever received? Ah, I like that it. That one I think will be fun. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show, where I'm glad that there are air filters in studio. Yay. It's yeah. not nearly as hot in here as it was last week. No, it was hot last week. <laughs> oh, my week. gosh. It was hot outside last week. It's cooled down a bunch. Uh, Although so, I will say, was it two weeks ago that we were in here, or was it last week? Last no, week. it was last week that we were in here, and it was pitch black. Because, it was like nighttime because it was so crazy. Like we left at right. five o'clock, and it was like it was dark. Like the streetlights were on. It felt like December. Yeah, it, it was eerie. It was the darkest it's ever been that we've been in studio. And I think it was probably yesterday, driving near your home, that I saw about the worst visibility the whole time. It was. It was really down bad. to maybe fifty yards. It was terrible. So the the struggle was real. What f- close to six hundred for that the particle measure or whatever of bad air. Three hundred is like the max on the meter. All right. So here's our PSA: drive safe, people. Like, give some extra grace. Give yourself some extra time. No, Be safe on the so roads. Bad. I mean, David, on, it's pretty bad. Now there's at least a half mile visibility. Our air quality is still up around four something. So don't breathe it. But you yeah, can you still can see. Uh, I don't think it's that high. Not. We don't have to worry about it for now it's still you know i would like it cleaner but i don't think it was as bad as i mean it's it's been it's been improving and i'm grateful for that Ah, 239 according to my weather index yep see um anyhow still says very unhealthy air (laughs) yes nobody's gonna be wrong on this show today (laughs) (laughs) just today (laughs) just today no nope as soon as the show's over it's it's on uh (laughs) i like donkey kong so i want to ask we're going to shift gears. I really want to get a set. And, then, and there's a, I'm angling towards something, right? And and it is uh, back in the beginning of COVID, we started this series that we called The Stuff About Money They Don't Teach in School. And it was really geared toward kids. This was a result of many of the clients of our firm wanting us to try to help teach their kids a little bit more. And so we created a YouTube channel and we started adding videos. And we did it for the month of April. And we're revisiting the concept of starting to do this on a weekly basis. So if you're interested, you can go to YouTube and look up Little John Financial and you'll find us there. Uh, Or you can go through our webpage and find it as well. But we've got this available for kids and it turns out the parents could benefit from it too. We just kind of stripped the language down to where like the junior high, high school kid would understand it and use simple illustrations and everybody sort of went, you know, that's not the worst it was very organic it wasn't really highly produced it's just me speaking right about different topics which is what you do best so we're gonna get back to our roots and do some of that but as we do i have been asking people and so i've got you know two smart folks in studio with me here either what has been the worst financial advice you've ever been given or what is what you would consider a financial mistake that was significant that you really had to learn a hard lesson from that it that you could share and and I have one I'm happy to go first but if either of you guys have something where you're thinking you know had I known better it would have been this so I want to share one that um, I, I'm glad that I have 
family that is a little bit of a gut check. Um, I was in my early 20s and I went to a real estate investing seminar. Okay, so here's a guy up trying to sell his process. And it was basically leverage the heck out of yourself to buy more properties that you have all this rental income. But it was all over leveraged to the point where people were borrowing on their credit cards and borrowing against things to go buy property. And I love this. You know, when you leave and something just doesn't sit right with you. And I was like, this just sounds like a house of cards. Like you like get bad a sushi or something. Yeah. Like you get, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Cause I don't eat in those places. You, you, when you leave and you hear this, right. And, and he's having people that he sold this program to stand up and they're like, Oh yeah, I've bought like 20 houses in the last month. And I, you know, I did it on credit card debt and he's talking about how leveraged they are. And I'm thinking if you have three or four tenants that don't pay, all of a sudden you have all these mortgages that you don't make enough income to pay and then they're going to be foreclosed properties so and was this like 2007 when you were it probably was honestly <laughs> it probably was. It was actually probably about 2005 2004 2005 like beginning of the boom that would have been the hot time right oh, but yeah. i but but i was just like it wasn't a fad i mean I'm, I'm here i'm thinking this guy's going around touring throwing these seminars i mean i paid to go to listen to him and i just left thinking how many people's lives like did you tell them to go just leverage every like get any penny you could anywhere you can to go buy all these different properties and i mean that's that's scary like when we think about our financial advice that we give at little john it's like we want to make sure that it's not trendy advice like it's sound <laughs> well <laughs> it's, it's, i mean it's it's I, couch yours is really similar to mine which was i was advised buy as much house as you can afford and I now advise that your your housing should really be under 30% of your income, right. roughly. And if it costs more than that, then you are endangering other parts of your strategy. And people say, well, gosh, housing costs so much. It's, no, I get it. But that doesn't give just because housing is more expensive than your income can support doesn't mean that you should make financially reckless decisions. It just means that the housing market is problematic and we don't there, have a good way to fix it right well that right? just means there's things that need to be adjusted you need to stop looking at so much house look in a different area right, but, or think about how to raise your income you know yeah i mean if you make a thousand dollars a month and you know you've got three hundred dollars toward housing you're right you better get a bunch of roommates that's what that comes down to because it's not going to pencil in almost any scenario right um that bugs people to be told that but that's reality we bought as much house as we could afford. We got in in late December of 2000. It was December 17th of 2005. And I ended up living in that house for 12 years, selling the house. And by the time we paid the realtors, we made like a couple thousand bucks on it. Yeah, you basically sold it for what you we paid for, for and, and paid and the, and mortgage put, the, whole paid mortgage the whole time. We paid the whole time. We put other money into the property that we never got back out. So that was actually a negative amortization if we map it out. And folks will say, well, you know, you got to live in the house. I said, that is true. But had I rented, it would have been at a fraction of the price of the cost of carrying that home. And so I could have used those resources elsewhere. So we were house poor for a decade. Yeah. House poor is, again, right. going back to the real estate and, investment stuff. And at least eventually rates came down and we finally built up enough equity that we could refi and start to get some traction. But, you know, that was a uh, 6.5% mortgage back then which we thought was pretty good and then you know they dropped down to below you know, we refied to 4.185 and then we were stuck there because it was a special government refi program 
and we just wouldn't go lower. Right. And, and then when the rates got down to three, we couldn't refi because we never had any equity in the house. And, and because the house value was such that we'd have to pony up so much money, we we're like, well, God, we're, you know, we're, we're trapped. So, yeah, that ended up being really dumb advice. And it makes me super sensitive. I protect other people from my dumb move. Like, don't buy too much house because it's not really an investment. And the people that used to advise that were used to a period from the 70s to the 2000s. So we had a 35-year period where real estate never had significant pullbacks in value. Right. It just kept going up unless you left the property derelict or it was condemned or something. Right. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sensitive to that. Real estate is not a guaranteed winner. Right? And people that used to say that, I just roll my eyes and go, "Here we go again." There is no sacred asset class in a market where there's massive federal uh, monetary intervention, and we have things like COVID that can change the dynamic of supply and demand. Yeah. So I, my story is actually real estate as well. And I have been something you guys know about me. I am a saver. Yep. I, yes, you are. I, I am worried about security. Uh, for my entire life, I've been worried about security. I want to not w- worry about where my next meal is coming from. So I save, I save, I save, I save. And I like the idea of real estate because they're not making any more mm-hmm. and prices do tend to go up, although I did live through 2008 as well. I bought uh, I bought uh, an apartment complex in Kansas. And when did you do that? Oh, it was it, it was, was in years it ago. was in 2008 maybe. It was, okay, it was after the the it giant. Sorry, this is, I know you know this because you know him personally. I don't know it. That's why I'm going to ask all sorts yeah. of weird questions and, about this now. And you know, one of the things that was really attractive was it's their small apartments, and if people are evicted from their houses, they might need to find a cheap apartment. This seemed like a good place to go. And so I, I bought this, and the really the fun part of the story is. How much did a sixplex cost me in Kansas? You want to guess? Dave knows the answer to that. I would say I under. Will, I'll let you guess. I, I, I would say under two hundred thousand. That is a reasonable guess because Kansas is a godforsaken wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, for all of you place, listening in Kansas, it was a great place to grow up, and you know there great are many place things to be from. Well, no, yeah. just because I know my friend in Georgia bought her home for like sixty-five thousand, and I was like, "You're kidding me, so right?" That, so that's right. This sixplex okay. was. I think the Romax wiring cost more than that in a home in Oregon. <laughs> yes. I know. <laughs> this sixplex was a hundred thousand dollars. Oh you my god! You can't gosh. get a two-bedroom, one-bath in Oregon for a hundred thousand, and it's because the Oregon property is way better than Kansas. But it seemed like a good idea at the time. Now, here's right. the lesson that I learned since then. It is impossible to manage property four states away effectively. Oh, okay. It is just too far away, unless you've got somebody in town there. Yeah, unless you've got boots on the ground or a special relationship with the property management firm. Yeah. It's just hard. So so that one, it has not, it has not returned on investment. Gotcha. So do you have boots on the ground or a special relationship? I don't in that town. I own some other rentals where in towns where my brother lives and manages them, and that works a lot better. Yeah. So there you go. Just make sure you have a sibling that sibling. you get along with that's near there. <laughs> Family members in general. Okay. So look, l- let's do this. I want to take the last break. When we come back, you know, what did you learn from it? And what, you know, how, how, how are we going to help, uh, especially as we're talking to young folks, how are we going to help them get the right start? So that and more when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn. Katie Shuck. And Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. Take you in.
All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, remember, podcast, if you're trying to figure this out, we've talked about, you know, election investment strategies. And now we're talking about really bad financial advice or bad financial experiences that we've had. And it, the, the theme has been that uh, it was real estate mistakes. Right, because right? real estate is still really attractive an attractive investment. Yes. But it takes a lot of research. It, it does. I mean, I'm a fan of real estate. I'm right? a fan I mean, of real estate. I am it's too. Been, it's been rough on me, but it's also been great to me. So I, you know, it's a double-edged sword. But you know what? There's no such thing as a riskless transaction. Right. So I still maintain that that's and it's part of a, a healthy, comprehensive strategy because of the concept of passive income that it can generate. Right. And because it's oftentimes a, a way to convert a certain amount of income into capital gain. Right. Right. So that's a whole interesting concept. We could probably do a whole show about that, although most of you listening would find yourself going, Oh my God! Look at the time. I don't know. I think one time we should talk. Maybe next week we'll talk about capital gains and what what that means. But so I, you know, you're yeah, talking it's about not just what you make. It's what you keep. It's what you right? keep. We're, we're talking about financial mistakes, but there's another one. When I was also in my 20s, earning a good income again, right? You know, 2000s. Um, I had a financial advisor, but I wish he would have sat me down and said, "This is what retirement would look like if you aggressively saved," because I had the money to do it. But nobody ever explained it to me in a way that made sense. Like, I just knew investments are smart things to do, right? And you should have an investment account. And I didn't understand much about the industry at that point. And I even kind of joked around with him. I said, you know, if you would remind me to put money in, I would do it. So I remember him taking a snapshot of my account every month and writing, please send money. And every time he did it, I would put money in the account. But he's like, you're not contributing. And I was like, well, I, I don't think about it when I pay my bills, right? Pay yourself first. Is something that David preaches a lot too. Like, pay yourself first. Let's get save for your future. Pay yourself first. Spend less than you make, and uh, which again, <laughs> like, wasn't. I wish somebody would have said, if you would have saved, you know, even a hundred dollars. Right, have an a month. emergency fund. Yeah, like <laughs> simple things that things we I've think, heard from Dave a few times. Right, David, where were you when I was in my twenties? <laughs> I, was, I was here probably. Yeah. <laughs> so you I know, wasn't ready for you yet. <laughs> it's. This is why I am really focused on trying to reach younger folks with this simple message, because I think now this is not political commentary per se, but I think we can all acknowledge there is a lot of unrest out there and there's a lot of uh, polarization in opinions right now. You know, it's like your team, my team kind of stuff. And I think one of the bigger issues is a big lie that's been perpetrated on the public. Whether it was intentional or not, I can't tell. But the idea is that there's the pie is only so big and that we need to somehow do aggressive redistribution of everything in order to make things fair. And I don't like these sub- relative subjective terms. Fair is a dangerous term because there's no numbers attached to fair. <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if somebody else has more than you and that's not fair, well, we got an issue, right? Because we can't really measure that. But I think socioeconomics is a huge divide in this country. I think more so than race and lots of other issues. And a lot of it starts with people just don't understand how the system works very well. Agreed. And so that's now some of it people don't like it because, you know, you say things like, well, don't spend money you don't have. And people go, well, I deserve it. It's like, no, you don't. 
Okay, if you can't afford it, you can't buy it. But people will take a credit card and do it, then play victim. Like, well, you know, I can't believe the credit card company so mean. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, you didn't have to take it, right? Nobody made you spend the money you didn't have. So, how would credit look if we had to take an IQ test prior to getting credit? I can't even go there. (laughs) What I can tell you is that socioeconomic status is something that is mobile in the United States, contrary to popular belief. I have witnessed firsthand people that have been in dire, desperate financial straits and their lives have been completely turned around and they are on the other end of the spectrum and it's really compelling. It is doable, there is mobility in this country, but it starts with understanding the system. True. And it's not that Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos has way more money than you. We could have a long, endless debate about that. But the idea is that just because they have lots of money doesn't mean that you can't be financially successful and solvent and have your own piece of the American dream. It is possible, but it will never be possible if you make foolish, self-harming financial decisions. Okay. Wow, that was the PSA right there. It it is never possible if you have self-inflicted wounds. Period. True. Don't pay interest if you can avoid it. Right. I mean, the (laughs) same way that, you know, all medical conditions aside, the spoon didn't do it. Okay. Your hand lifting the spoon did. There's got to be some ownership and accountability on this stuff. So we're going to teach our kids, right? And I hope that you all listening will check out our YouTube channel and start encouraging if you got kids or grandkids, or even if it's just you and you're trying to figure more of this out, start checking them out because we're going to be teaching how this stuff works. We're not selling you anything. We're just going to show you how it works. By the way, shout out to Heather for reorganizing it to make it easier to find stuff on our YouTube channel. All right, look, we're out of time, so we're going to do the usual. Katie, if they need help financially, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898, littlejohnfs.com. And Derek, if they need legal assistance, how do they reach you? At Simmons Law, and they should look at www.seriousbusiness.law. Good stuff, gang. Until next time, this has been True Wealth. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brooks Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.